welcome to this week's episode of Rent Free. I'm your host, Drew Vandemore, and we've got what is just an awesome interview today with former Washington and Lee football player Alex Cantrell. Alex takes us through his basically life story from, you know, playing sports originally and getting involved with football, his family history with playing sports and why I wanted to make him start playing football in the first place. We dive into his high school career and his recruitment, what it was like to go camp at some of the Ivy League schools and the recruitment process in general, ultimately deciding to play football at Washington and Lee, what it was like to try to gain admittance and what other quirks are involved with being admitted to a Division three school. And we also walk through his playing career at Washington and Lee and including, you know, changing positions and also choosing to become sober almost halfway through his college career. Alex and I had a great conversation back and forth, and I really appreciated him taking the time to chat with me about a bunch of different life events of his. This was a really enjoyable conversation for me, and I hope you guys enjoy it as well. Without further ado, Alex Cantrell. I'm now joined by Alex Cantrell, who has safely made it back to Washington, D.C. after visiting me in Nebraska for the Nebraska Northwestern football game. Alex, how's it going? Going well. How are you? Yeah, I mean, luckily we got back alive. It was a madhouse out there. It was pretty crazy. Um, I was not expecting as fun of an environment as it was uh, wound up being. It was a the first night game for Nebraska since 2019, so fans were definitely, you know, jazzed up and ready to go. And Alex and I spent a majority of the day tailgating and bouncing around the the Haymarket area. So we somehow survived, and we had a lot of fun. Yeah, I mean it's it's a lot of fun when you deliver an absolute ass whooping like they did in Northwestern. I mean that was that's true, fifty six seven. Yeah, yeah. I mean we wanted that goose egg, but you know it was, it was it was good. Listen, you can always get better. You can always you can. get better. Yeah. yeah, that's what film's for. So I mean th- this time the second half adjustments. You know, I mean negative two rushing yards in the first half. You know, pretty good. You know, hard to beat that. The fact they gave up thirty in the second half a little disappointing, but I think overall. Pretty stout performance. They'll get, they'll get those guys back in the film room, and they'll they'll make sure they get them right coming up. Oh, yeah. they, they dropped a tough one to Michigan, but they'll get them yeah. right coming up here yeah. this weekend from Minnesota and get it into the bye week. So yeah, it'll be a lot of fun. Uh, well, I, guys, I'm I'm just everybody listening. I'm really excited for for this conversation with Alex today. So um, Alex and I are going to jump through his you know story, his playing career, his athletic career, everything from you know junior level in high school all the way up and through college uh, football and track. And we'll get a, a sense of what Alex is doing now. So Alex, just sort of diving into that, like when did you first start playing sports and was football the first sport you ever played or did you do something else? Yeah. So football definitely came first. Uh, it was about the time that I was able to walk is, you know, we'd start running around the football, you know, my dad played in high school and college and my granddad played in high school and college. And, you know, great grand on my mom's side played in college too. So there's a sort of long history of like, you know, Cantrell football players. And so, you know, basically from the time, you know, we could run around, we would have a football thrown out to my dad, you know, catching passes and all that. So, I mean, it was very, it was definitely an early start. That's for sure. Was your dad a quarterback or what position did he play? Uh, he played uh cornerback actually played at Furman. Okay. Um, and oh, then nice. my, yeah, my granddad played at the uh, university of Tampa, whose football team I believe now has been uh, disassembled, but, don't don't quote me on that because I'm not positive. But at, uh, from what I understand, uh, they don't they don't have one anymore. But yeah, they played back there back in the day. 
That's awesome. That's great. So, you know, it runs in your family and mm-hmm. obviously it runs in, in your blood. And so you start playing football as a, a young junior and then, you know, you work your way up playing through through middle school and high school. What was it like playing at, you know, Providence Day? Yeah, so I think I think Providence Day was a really great environment to play. You know, it was a smaller private school, um, but, you know, still a pretty competitive uh, conference. You know, Charlotte Christian, you know, being one of the powerhouses there. And it's changed up in the recent years since I've graduated. Um, but I was actually lucky enough my freshman year in 2011, the 10-year anniversary is coming up in just a few weeks here. I uh, won our, the first state championship um, that the school had won in, I think, maybe 25 years or something like that. Um, and so it was really special to be a part of that. Um, really fun. You know, as a freshman, didn't have as much playing time as I would have liked. You know, got to run down on a couple kickoffs. But uh, other than that, didn't make it too big of a contribution. But, you know, that was sort of a good intro to see what, like, a real, like, you know, real, real team was like. Because, you know, before hey. that, yeah. You still have the ring. Still got the ring. Oh, you that's still have sure. the ring. That's oh, all yeah. that matters. Yeah, yeah it, that's all that matters. And we had, um, you know, I had Ryan Gilmartin on who played at Charlotte Christian. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and you guys played against him. And, you know, there's some great football played in, in that North Carolina private school conference between, you know, Christian and Providence Day and Country yeah. Day and Latin. So, um, you know, really, you know, don't sell yourself short. You guys, you guys did a great job there. And it's only gotten more competitive the years goes on. You know, Coach Greer, uh, Will Greer's father is the new head coach there, you know, really, you know, trying to move the team up into sort of like, you know, the next echelon um, of like, you know, like Southeastern football, you know, traveling to Georgia, you know, out to Appalachian Mountains to take on some really, really tough teams. So it's exciting to see where the program's going. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so um, I want to dive a little bit into, you know, the benefits of having the career that you did at Providence Day. Obviously, you mentioned, you know, as a freshman, you were mostly on special teams, but as, you know, the years progressed, you started to make a, a really big impact on the Chargers program. And obviously that led to you having college opportunities and opportunities to play football outside of high school. Do you remember when you got your first recruiting letter? Like, what did that look like? Or like, who, who even reached out to you? Yeah, so I think they, uh, they started coming along sometime. Um, it, was, it was really sort of after my junior year um, because, you know, my, it, was, it was sort of an interesting journey, you know, earlier on. Uh, in high school, you know, I had two pretty bad season-ending injuries, and so was able to play some special teams, but not much more than that. And then, you know, junior year, you know, was still stuck on the JV because I never had any playing time. And so, you know, that was obviously a little bit of a pride hit, but, you know, like, you know, pushed through, you know, proved myself there and, you know, kept working through. And then eventually senior year, you know, sort of got the opportunity and eventually made All-State, which was pretty exciting. And, you know, kind of just like, you know, kept pushing through all the uh, adversity was sort of helpful there. And I think that, you know, recruits were able to, to see that to some degree. Before we keep going on that, I want to like press on that a little bit. So you played JV as a, a junior in high school. I mean, talk about facing some just incredible adversity. Was there ever a time you wanted to give up or stop playing? Yeah, I mean, junior year especially was tough because, you know, all of my uh, – everyone who's in the same class as me, I mean, they were all moved to the varsity team. You know, they'd played, you know, JV freshman, sophomore year, you know, showed themselves to be productive and were, you know, moved up even if they – you know, most were starting, some were second string. But – you know, just with some the, all the injuries I had, it was just it was really tough to uh, you know justify putting me on the on the varsity position. And so, you know, they were they were leaving me down, let me get some experience. You know, which is one reason the playing time is just so valuable. Um, but I mean, it was definitely it was definitely tough. There were times where you know I'd be going on the bus with like the freshmen to the JV game, and they were going through the walkthrough, and you know that definitely did not feel great. You know, um, you know definitely you know, sort of like that felt downcast a little bit. Um, and, you know, not, you know, not a lot of other juniors. I think I was the only one playing on them that, with that with them that year. But, you know, it was sort of a good leadership opportunity to help the younger kids out, and, you know, kind of, you know, you know, show them the uh, 
show them the ropes and all that. Like I said, just, you know, proving myself, you know, in, in the, in, when you get the opportunities and, you know, eventually, um, you know, culminated in being moved up to the varsity, you know, later in that year and then starting senior year. So that was something I was pretty happy about, even though it was, it was definitely tough there for a while. No, that's awesome. I mean, it's a great story of perseverance and football is such a humbling game. It feels like, you know, it's one of those things where it's black and white. There is no, you know, gray area. Oh, maybe this, or maybe that it's, you know, you had some, some tough injury luck. And so you had to work even harder, but you know, through that hard work and perseverance, you were able to not just work your way up to varsity, but also work your way onto the radar of college scouts. When you went through the recruiting process for the first time, did you even envision yourself playing college football? Did you even think that was going to be a possibility for yourself? Yeah, so um, it was definitely something that was always on my radar, you know, with my dad and granddad playing college football, you know, it's definitely something that you know, I sort of wanted to aspire to do from the very first recruiting letter I got, which I, you know, I think, you know, the, and the, the ways they do it now a lot is, you know, they invite kids to camps and they cast a pretty broad net. Um, and so, you know, after my junior year, when I'd gotten some playing time and gotten some interest at some of these camps, I was basically doing a tour of different ones. You know, there was like, you know, the Harvard and the Yale camp, you know, I was interested in the Ivies, um, you know, places like that. Um, the one that ended up working out actually is uh, my alma mater, Washington and Lee was holding a camp at our uh, high school at Providence Day. And so that was the first time where I got some real interest um, from the from the coach specifically, and things just sort of started snowballing from there. That's awesome. And so I, I guess just dive in a little a little bit of that for me as well. Like, what does it look like when you get invited to a camp? For the D three camps, what it mostly was, and you know, my youngest brother is going through this now. Um, but you know, they will you know send out letters to lots of kids on the team who are you know either in the starting lineups or have been getting playing time and you know putting up good stats. Um, and basically just, you know, ca- you know, like casting the broad net, inviting lots of kids to the camp, which, you know, they're usually able to handle because not everyone is, you know, interested or able to go or things like that. Um, and so, like, for example, like the uh, Harvard camp, which me and your brother Ross actually went to, um, which is a pretty good time. You know, we, we flew up there to Boston, you know, stayed for a night. And then, you know, my dad and I and uh, we, you know, we drove over and basically they had it set up, like you said, into the position group. So the O-line was doing their drills. The D-line was doing their drills. Um, and then, you know, myself, I was doing, uh, trying out for receiver that day. Um, and so they, you know, sort of, you know, had us walk through some basics, do some warm ups, do a couple of sprints. Um, sometimes people will even come over when you're doing the warmups and if you're looking pretty good, you know, they'll be asking about your information, seeing what you can do. And so after, you know, some of sort of like the basic preliminaries, they actually brought us out, uh, and we had like, you know, like bench testing, you know, doing the vertical jump and all the kind of things like that. Um, a little unfortunate back in the day, didn't have as much muscle, wasn't even able to get 225. So that was definitely a knock right off the bat. I think uh, I think your brother Ross was able to get quite a few more because um, he was hitting pretty hefty back in those days. And so after you know, sort of like the uh, it's probably the um, you know like the weightlifting session, they bring us out, have us do like the forty yard dash, L drill, stuff like that. Just sort of like you know, just like so get some quantitative data. Um, you know, I mean, data analysis has grown so much in pretty much all sports. I feel like in the recruiting as well. You know, they're starting to lean into that a little more. And then you know, after they got you know the piece of information they need, it was just a matter of uh, you know starting to play basically. So you know, running routes with the quarterbacks, you know, and they slowly bifurcated the groups into people who could catch balls and who couldn't catch balls. And, you know, they made pretty rapid updates to that. I think I dropped one pass and got moved into the lower group, which is a little unfortunate. Um, But, you know, I mean, it's Harvard, they're only going for the best. And so then they, you know, moved from that sort of like the drill portion into like a true like seven on seven, um, because obviously had DBs trying out too. Um, So they had that everyone running routes, you know, they would do one on ones as well. And so it really just became um, like it moved from, you know, sort of like the individual uh, like testing portion to uh, like competition, seeing how you line up against the other people there. Um, And that was the way that, you know, 
they were able to figure like, well, hey, I mean, this guy hasn't lost, uh, you know, hasn't lost a route yet. So like, you know, maybe we could maybe give him a little, we give him a little bit of look there. Um, and, you know, the, these coaches are obviously very skilled at, you know, you, you know, navigating and recruiting talent. And so they're able to sort of, you know, discern who uh, they may be more interested in or not. Yeah, that's great. I mean, wow, that's awesome background. And so obviously that what an experience that must've been. And you, you camped basically mm-hmm. that entire summer, right. While you're also doing, you know, seven on sevens for Providence day and making sure you're still going to summer lifts and summer practices and all that kind of stuff. When you started to actually sort of narrow down the recruiting process and you say, okay, I'm going to look at like these handful of schools. Was there anybody outside of Washington Lee that you also, you know, really seriously considered? You know, obviously there's a lot of people that have interested in the Ivies like myself um, and some of like the NESCACs and other like, you know, high academic schools up there in the Northeast. But, you know, I just, I didn't receive, you know, the same level of interest from then as I did from WNL. Um, you know, like, you know, coaches coming to visit, you know, writing letters, you know, co- you know, sending me texts, like if I had, you know, the senior year progressed, like, like, oh, like good game, you know, we saw you did well. Um, and so the thing that really drew me there, in addition to like the high quality academics was just like, you know, the attention I was receiving from the coaches and just, you know, the continued positive feedback I got. And that was something that really made me feel like it would be a place where I would fit in. Yeah, obviously, you know, you mentioned the high quality academics and all of those schools you mentioned are, you know, fantastic academic institutions. And, um, you know, while Harvard and, and the Ivies are technically part of FCS, the Washington Elite Generals are a Division three school. Was there any sort of um, differences in the recruiting process or recruiting rules or aid they were able to provide? You know, they don't have athletic scholarships. And so that was something that, you know, was sort of just off the table to start. Fortunately or unfortunately, I wasn't in the position where, like, at least I thought that, like, an academic scholarship would be attainable. You know, maybe I gave it up, you know, earlier than I should have. But since I didn't consider it much, I wasn't as like committed to like, you know, really, you know, focusing on the FBS places where, you know, they would be able to sort of like, you know, help out financially. Um, just because I, I didn't I didn't think that I was going to be able to sort of make that pay grade. Um, you know, WNL stayed in pretty close contact and, you know, as a matter of sending them films and, you know, updating the highlight tape and sending that out. Um, and then as the season sort of came to a close, you know, it almost sort of, at least for me, sort of became a flurry of, you know, getting the highlight tape set up, sending that out to the people who I've been in contact with, um, you know, like coaches now could sort of come down to visit, you know, the recruiting starts the day the season ends. And so like, you know, talking with coaches who came down, you know, really just sort of like continue to push to the forefront, you know, just the, you know, continued, you know, interest in me and, you know, talking about like, you know, the things that I could do there, you know, they recruited me as a DB specifically. Um, and so like, you know, talking about like the system they had and, you know, the style they play, they went with um, all just seemed really appealing. And so obviously, you know, WNL is a pretty high academic institution, which means that, you know, they have a pretty high bar for admission. And so what they told me was that, um, you know, applying early would increase your chances of actually getting in. And so, you know, I figured I would need uh, every bit of help I could get. So, you know, football is helpful, but applying early is helpful too. And, um, you know, at that point, there was just really no other school that was coming after me as hard as WNL was. And, you know, it, it just, it just seemed like a good fit. Like, I think the bye weekend, you know, I went up for a visit, you know, went to a game, they got crushed, which usually isn't great, but I saw it as an opportunity. I was like, well, maybe I can get into play earlier. You know, I mean, these guys, these guys don't look great. So like, you know, maybe I'll be able to, uh, you know, make a, make a, make a big splash the first year. Can I ask you, I want to press a little bit on one of the things you mentioned. So, you know, when you're offered a, maybe a full scholarship at, you know, certain non D3 institutions, you know, admission is sort of. Uh, an afterthought, right? At some of these other programs, mm-hmm. obviously for WNL, you know, you need to apply and get in essentially on your own before they can, you know, accept your commitment. Just what was that 
process like in terms of just filling out the application and the nerves associated with all of that? Especially D3, you know, they can say they want you, but if the admissions doesn't want you, it doesn't matter what the football team wants. And, you know, as over the years, the football coaches definitely, you know, I mean, they didn't do it too much for the players, but I mean, exactly. you can tell they were frustrated when kids they really wanted didn't get in. Um, it was pretty consistent. And I think at a lot of, a lot of the other, um, you know, D3 institutions, especially the ones that sort of have the higher academic bar, um, from what they said, like, you know, the football coaches can, you know, sort of nudge the admissions one way or the other, but, you know, they're, they're not able to move mountains unlike they are like some of like the FBS or FCS institutions where, you know, they've, they've offered the scholarship and this person is going to make a really big impact um, on the team. And so while it definitely does help a little bit, you know, I know that um, like the Ivies had a whole uh, like sort of like, you know, scaling system they had come out, like really good players were held to a lower bar. And I'm not sure if they've since changed that. Um, but it's, you know, they, they, they can, they can help you a little bit, but the very first thing that the WNO coach asked me was what my ACT score was. I ran a 40. He saw a good time. He's like, ACT. I told him, he's like, okay, we'll talk. But if it hadn't been high, I mean, he would have just, you know, and it's unfortunate there's one test score that defines so much, but you know, <laughs> before they even start recruiting you, they want to make sure that they at least got a chance. Yeah. So that's a little bit of a different mindset there. No, that's, that's extremely good insight. Thank you for, for sharing that and providing that. So you're finally on campus, you're admitted, you've committed, you graduate Providence Day School and you go up to Washington and Lee in Virginia and you're a freshman and you mm -hmm. actually are able to see the field right away. You, you played in all 11 games as, as a true freshman. Camp starts early in the summer, and especially as a freshman, you know, people coming in, maybe you know someone, maybe you don't, you know, it's just a little isolating, a little, little new. But, you know, you get to experience that beforehand. You already sort of have your family before the year starts, and, you know, sort of nice to sort of be sewn in like that. You know, camp brings everyone together. As terrible as it is, you know, you still miss it. Um, and that was another reason that, you know, you know, when I saw that team who didn't play very well during my visit, I was like, well – a chance for me to get on the field but you know another positive there was that you know it's not a very big team you know Washington Lee's not a very big school only about 70 people on the team and so you know they they needed bodies um and so you know right off the bat you know all the special teams you know getting going um and then you know being subbed in at um you know cornerback during certain games um really really great way to start it off you know there's um people who like you know had had the opportunity maybe to go like d1 and you know, like have a walk on there. Um, and a lot of them um, ended up choosing WNL because they wanted to play right away. You know, they didn't, they didn't want to wait two years and develop, you know, they, they wanted to just get on the field and keep doing what they've been doing all of high school. And so that was, that was definitely one of the positives of the, um, of the, of some of the smaller D3 schools is that the, you know, the, the ability to get onto the field quicker is easier when you don't have a hundred, 120 guys, um, you know, all jostling for the same positions. Yeah, no, that's awesome. And then, you know, obviously you, you finish your freshman mm -hmm. year and then your sophomore year, you're still playing defensive back, which is where WNL had recruited you to. But then your junior year, they, you know, bulk you up and move you to an outside linebacker or defensive end sort of position. I, I played defensive back and uh, cornerback specifically. And me and another guy in my class um, it, were always like competing for the same spot. And essentially what the coaches told me is two things. One, I didn't have loose enough hips, which, I, you know, I wish someone had told me years ago because I'd always been trying to be a cornerback because that's what my dad was in college and uh my you know my hips just you know they, they were too tight which I think I knew but no one had ever told me um and so basically you know that's that's one reason the other is that like look you know we want you to be on the field but we want you know him to be on the field too and you know this guy my good buddy the other cornerback he's like you know 5'8 160 he couldn't really go in at linebacker you know they needed him they needed him on the outside 
And so they're like, well, you know, if we want both of you to play, only one of you, it only makes sense for one of you to move inside. And so they move me into like the our, uh, like outside linebacker position. Um, and that was definitely a big change, you know, being, um, you know, only ever playing like defensive back on defense, um, getting down in the box, scraping, you know, moving laterally, filling holes was definitely like a different experience. And while I do feel like it's something I could be good at, I just didn't really have the time to adjust to it, honestly. Um, and like, really what they ended up doing is, you know, I know that they weren't the ones that pioneered this, but they really just turned me into an edge. Um, this is a position you see like, you know, Nakeem and Gawkway, um, like the new uh, Ravens, like, you know, yeah. the new Ravens pick Brian Burns for the Panthers, you know, um, you know, they're an outside linebacker, but they line up on the line and they get after the quarterback. And that is, that is their role. And so that's really what I ended up being transitioned to uh, my junior year, because, you know, with my speed, you know, a lot of the tackles in our conference had a lot of difficulty you know, kicking all the way back there. And, you know, once they were able to kick back, you know, you cut inside and just have an absolute heyday. Um, and so that was definitely fun, you know, moving from the, uh, you know, cause I'd only ever really played receiver and uh, defensive back and moving down into the box with the big boys, you know, it was a big change. I mean, like you said, they did have me pack on some weight and that was less fun than I, than I thought it would be. Uh, the eating was fun, but uh, the, the amount of weight you end up carrying around is not as ideal. So I, I have a couple of questions I want to pick your brain on there. But first, just like when they tell you you're going to add weight, were you at the time, 210 pounds or so? Like, hey, we need you to get to, okay, we need, we need you to get to X number. Monitoring my weight during the off season, making sure I was, you know, gaining it at certain intervals, like I'm sure that some of the bigger schools who are, you know, transitioning people do. Um, but really it was just the, uh, you know, the linebackers coach who I was now working, he's like, yeah, we're going to get you big. Don't you worry about that. Um, and you know, it was really just like a slight change in the lifting routine, you know, moving me up with the lifting groups and then the rest was sort of on me. And that's really, like you said, I mean, it is just, it's the eating, you know, you don't, I learned then you don't really start eating until you're full. That's when the, the true meal begins. Everything before that is just a warm up. And so, I mean, it was just stuffing my face 24 seven went from like 190 to 220 in about, you know, nine months or so. So, I mean, I was able to do it. Is it. Are you are you eating like healthy foods or are you just literally like there's pizza over there? More likely than not, I was I was at the pizza bar. I mean, I wasn't, you know, going totally old schools like, you know, the 60s, like Bears linemen, just like slogging down chicken legs and turkey breasts and all that. Um, there was definitely, you know, a couple of a couple of healthy things, but it was just it was really just a quantity. You know, you take a take a plate of food and you double it. And then that's, you know, every meal you have instead of instead of just the, the normal, you know, humane amount. So, so that's pretty cool. So, I mean, obviously you're, you're tacking on a ton of mass and, uh, you know, adding a bunch of weight. You're also lifting and doing a bunch of other stuff in the process. What does it look like? Like before we dive into your senior year and just the rest of your college career, like what does it look like on a daily basis from an athletics standpoint? In season, how it would look is, you know, for us, we always got Mondays off. Um, and then the rest of the week, basically, um, you know, practice would start at uh, three and practice would start every day with film. And so that would go from roughly three, 10, three fifteen until four or so, you know, review yesterday's practice, you know, watch some scouting film. Um, everyone was, you know, expected to watch on their own, of course, as well. But this is where, you know, we would, you know, got, dive into the game plan and, you know, specific pieces of it that we wanted to do and, you know, review anything from practice that we needed to go over. Um, and so those meetings, you know, usually run, you know, like position meetings and, you know, sometimes special teams um, until around four or so when practice would start and, Practice would generally go from about four to six, I would say. Um, you know, when we're doing walkthroughs, it'd be more like four to five thirty, four to five, um, and then two to three days a week, depending on um, which year. Because some days we lifted on the weekends instead. Um, but two to three days a week after practice, we would just go straight and lift. Um, and so the lifts, obviously, you know, usually run from six to probably eight or so. 
um, with maybe some running involved as well. And so, you know, most days of the week you had, you know, from three to eight, you were basically blocked off, uh, busy with, busy with football. And then like even a game day, like what is, did you guys play at a certain time every week? We probably had maybe three Friday night games, um, while during my career and the rest were all Saturday at one, whether we were at home or away. Um, and so that was at least good, you know, keeping things, um, pretty consistent, you know, it's, pretty cool with, you know, the, you know, the, obviously the NFL schedule, you know, changing up, but I mean, the college schedule now too, you know, they got, you know, it's, it seems like sometimes it's like a Tuesday night and I look up, there's a game, you know, it's like, for like, it's, it's fun for the fans, but as a, as a player having to, you know, adjust on the fly like that, and then yeah. especially heading to the next week is a little more difficult. So glad we had a little bit of consistency there, but you know, Fridays we have our walkthroughs then Saturday morning, you know, it's up and Adam early, go and get a big breakfast and then everyone doing whatever, you know, crazy ritual, ritual they believe or do not believe in to, sort of get ready for game time, you know, like start the walk through around noon, you know, get out there, get warmed up, you know, maybe talk a little shit if the other teams, you know, you know, a rival or something like that. Um, and then uh, suit up and go get after them, you know, every, every week. That's, that's great insight. And so, all right, we'll jump back in now. So you mm-hmm. talked about having to move from defensive back to defensive line, your junior year. Was that like an adjustment period for you, your junior and senior seasons? Like, did you enjoy those as much? You know, I didn't care as much for the individual accolades. Not that I was probably would have gotten them anyway. Um, but, you know, I, I really just wanted, you know, to win games and, you know, whatever I could do to help the team win is, is what I what I was going to do. Um, and so, you know, when they said, hey, look, you know, you and this other guy, let's call you comparable. You know, I'll imagine. So I still think I'm better. But, you know, leave that as it is. Um, you know, they're like, so look, you're comparable. He'll be on the field. We want you in the field. So we'll put you down on the line. Um, you know, I was definitely able to make an impact there. Um, you know, it was definitely a different impact, you know, getting sacks and, you know, forcing fumbles and things like that is a little different than, you know, blanketing some guy and, you know, making interceptions and stuff like that. Um, but I mean, in, in some ways I, I ended up enjoying it more. I mean, the, uh, D linemen are crazy, you know, and it was fun to be around that like wild vibe of like, you know, just, you know, it's like tethered, uh, you know, like tethered insanity almost it was like, just let me hit the quarterback. You know, that's, that's all that's in your mind and you got to control it and make sure you're playing the rush and, you know, not do anything crazy. But um, it was definitely really enjoyable. You know, we had a really good group. We had a really strong D line. I think, you know, we were top 10 in the country my senior year and like, you know, rushing defense um, and like, you know, things like hits on the QBs and stuff like that. We were up there as well. Um, You know, but I was really lucky to have like, you know, great coaches and, you know, just really good teammates um, who made the transition really easy and really fun. Obviously we talked about your whole football playing career and you went through all four years doing all that. Mm-hmm. One of the little known things is you also joined the track team while you were at Washington and Lee. So it's something that, you know, I'd done all through high school, you know, the long jump, the 100 meter, 200 meter, you know, all the, all the speed things. Um, and so, you know, I really enjoyed doing it um, in high school and I'd always, you know, considered doing it in college and, you know, WNL's track program is pretty good. Um, but freshman year, I was sort of busy with extracurriculars, you know, mainly like, you know, fraternity pledgeship and, you know, academics and stuff like that. And then sophomore year, you know, just wasn't really in the right place to do it. Uh, but my junior year, actually, um, around, you know, just after the season ended, I actually got sober. So, you know, WNL is a pretty big drinking school. And so, you know, I went through some tumultuous times with that, you know, had some issues in the past. And, you know, so I decided, you know, halfway through my junior, um, you know, academic year, I was just I was done with it. Right. Um, and so as a part of that, you know, I ended up replacing it to some degree with track. And so that ended up being a really healthy, positive replacement, you know, instead of going out, you know, every weekend. Um, you know, I was, you know, you know, going to games, you know, busing to uh, different meets and events and stuff like that. And so it was sort of a good, like healthy replacement. Um, you know, I still, you know, definitely enjoyed the social scene, you know, had, you know, great group of friends and my fraternity and my girlfriend and all things like that. Um, but having something that, you know, 
keep me busy, you know, sort of year round because the training started pretty much as soon as the football season ended um, was, was, was really valuable. So the decision to go sober, was there one instance maybe that prompted it? And is there anything that you maybe offer to anybody else who is either struggling with alcohol or other substance issues? Yeah. Due to sort of, you know, naivety and immaturity and, you know, kind of a group think mentality, um, you know, I just sort of continued going with it. Um, and so I think the thing that really helped me was, you know, getting around like-minded people. Um, you know, it was easy to some degree because, you know, after, you know, you know, having a, you know, a couple of incidents, you know, speaking with the school, they said, hey, look, we're, we're nearing the end of our rope here. You know, we can't really have this anymore. Um, and so, you know, for me, you know, choosing to quit drinking or, you know, left, leave the school that I love was a relatively easy decision. But it was made a lot easier by the fact that um, there was sort of an informal group on campus at the time that was just a like a recovery group. Um, and so, you know, I was meeting with that group and knew some of the people there. And so me and one of the guys who went to a lot actually formalized it to an actual club on campus. We were able to like secure some funding and get a house that was, you know, right there near the, um, the colonnade, sort of the main area. Um, and so I think that was really the thing that helped like, you know, you know, set me, set me in stride there is having a, you know, a group of people who met every week, you know, to talk about, you know, not even just sobriety, but like you said, like, you know, you know, they're having some trouble, you know, they maybe want to cut down, you know, not that they want to stop entirely, but you know, they're, you know, sick and tired of feeling sick and tired. And maybe they want to go a weekend. And it's, you know, it's difficult, especially at a school like WNL and some of these other small schools where drinking is just so ingrained in the, uh, the social culture that, you know, it's kind of hard to imagine not doing it. Um, so having like, you know, those that like that support was, was really helpful. Did you find that as you, you know, continued to grow stronger in that group, and you joined track and it, you know, a, a day became a week and a week became two weeks and two weeks became a month. Was it easier to some extent to continue down that path or was it, did it become harder at any time? I'm curious, like just sort of open up behind the scenes a little bit there. You hear the amazing stories, you know, of, you know, people lasting, you know, 10 years, Elton John, Eminem, people like that. Um, but really for me, you know, I just took it a day at a time. I think my favorite quote that you know, one of my best friends, you know, lived on my hall for two years, you know, he actually ended up joining the group with me, you know, you know, got a lot close because of that. But his favorite quote is that the world record for being sober is 24 hours, and I just break it every day. And so that's the way that, you know, it's it's really easiest to think about is, you know, I'm, you know, approaching four years here, um, which is pretty exciting. But at the same time, I just know that, you know, I can't drink tonight, because I got to drive. And tomorrow, I'll figure out what to do then. Because, you know, thinking like, well, what if I'm, you know, when I'm, when I'm 64, as the Beatles say, like, you know, could I, could I have a drink then, you know, like what could I, what damage could I possibly do to myself? And, you know, that kind of thought process definitely gets you like, um, you know, sort of like wrapped up and, you know, you sort of leave the present. And so, so sort of just deciding like in the moment, you know, for this afternoon, you know, maybe I'll, maybe I'll lay off it and then tomorrow I'll reconsider and maybe try to break that world record again. I, I love hearing you open up and talk about that because, you know, for me, even as somebody who um, is not sober, I, Definitely know mm -hmm. what you mean in terms of there being times where it felt like drinking was almost ingrained in a culture, right? You know, I was in a fraternity at UConn and obviously we would party and we would do whatever. And, you know, I had to also get out of that group think mentality that you noted to say, hey, like just because other people are doing some crazy stuff doesn't always mean that, you know, you have to do the same thing. And so um, obviously it's a great story and I, and I appreciate you, you know, sort of opening up and just sharing some background on that. I mean, there's a, there's a lot of, um, you know, there's a lot of good life that can be lived, you know, with or without alcohol. And I mean, there's definitely a lot to be lived even with a reduction. And, you know, like you said, I mean, there's a lot of people who have, you know, come to the group we formed and 
all they did was cut back a little bit and their lives have improved immensely. And so, you know, just being, I don't mean to interrupt, but it's not like you can't still have fun, right? Like, you know, you just came, you just came to Nebraska with, with us and we went to a, you know, a huge football game and we were out all day at different places and doing whatever. And um, I think that's just, you know, one of the, the things that I realized at least when I, you know, began to cut back on, on my consumption levels mm-hmm. of, you know, alcohol and even just, you know, and this is, this is outside of this realm, but even just other things that yeah. are, you know, unhealthy for me, whether it's bad media consumption or bad food or whatever was, you don't have to have all of that kind of stuff yeah. to make your experience what it is. Your experience is going to be what you make of it, right? We all, we all had a good time and, you know, it wasn't all related to the drinking we we're doing. It was the company, you know, the people were had obviously Nebraska, you know, going ham. That was great. Um, but I mean, you know, I've definitely had people say, you know, you're more fun now than you used to be, you know, and you know, there's definitely people who sort of like gained respect over time and saw like, you know, it is possible. And, you know, being able to sort of like follow in those footsteps is definitely something that, you know, sort of opens that door um, for other people. Cause there's definitely, you know, there's still that sort of stigma where it's like, well, you know, especially if you're surrounded by it all the time, it's sort of hard to stop or even, you know, consider not doing it. Um, but there's definitely, there's definitely the ability to, and like you said, I mean, you can still have just as good as time as anybody else. The only difference is you feel better the next morning. Beginning to sort of wrap up here, Alex. And again, thanks. This has been awesome. What, like you finish your senior year and, you know, obviously you finish the football year and you, you, you finish the track season. Yeah. You know, the reason, you know, that I was, you know, looking, um, at Washington and Lee specifically was because of the high academic bar they had. And, you know, I was lucky enough my very first semester, I accidentally ended up in a computer science class, ended up, you know, really loving it. You know, I always loved video games, but, you know, enjoyed like the, uh, sort of the technical side of it as well. And decided to continue down that track, you know, got a comp sci major. Um, and so, you know, coming out of college, um, was really looking for like a, you know, a technical role where I could, I could do some coding. Um, you know, I think I applied to maybe 30 different places, got denied from all of them. The one that accepted me was the very last one was Amazon. So, you know, it was sort of like a dream come true. Couldn't quite believe when I got the email, it went to my spam folder. So I was really lucky I checked, but so I was, uh, set up about like March. Um, you know, they extended me the offer contingent upon uh, graduation. Um, and so, you know, made, so I pushed through the very end there, you know, had to take a freshman level biology class because I messed up some credits and, you know, probably could have tried harder in that. Um, but I mean, you know, like sort of enjoying that, uh, you know, those final few months, I mean, they are special, you know, I mean, it's only, it's four years, which definitely feels like a long time, but looking back on it, I mean, it, it passed pretty quickly. Um, and sort of just like, you know, relishing those last couple of months with, you know, all my close friends. And cause I knew that, you know, we were never going to be able to go back to that. Um, and then, you know, after that, you know, left, went home, you know, started work in, uh, August and, you know, been coding ever since then. That's awesome. That's awesome. And now you're in the Washington DC area, right? Are you enjoying that? It's relatively close to Charlotte, your home, yep. but you know, it's six hours away. Yeah. I've really enjoyed living in DC. Um, you know, it's been really great. There's a lot of, uh, my friends from college, um, and even some from high school who have moved up here. Um, and so, you know, currently living in a townhouse with six other guys, which is a little crazy, but you know, know them all really well. And so it's, it's, it's definitely been fun. You know, my girlfriend's up here as well, which is really nice. And like you said, it's six hours away. So definitely close enough to drive down, but, you know, don't have, you know, mom and pop knocking on the door. Um, you know, if I could live closer, honestly, I probably would have, you know, really close with my family. So it would be nice to be able to visit more often, but you know, it's a, it's a pretty good medium. You know, a lot of the other, you know, tech jobs are out on the West coast or, you know, up in New York, San Fran and things like that. So I think this is probably the best place I could have imagined. You know, it's sort of a dream come true and, you know, really thankful to, uh, you know, W and L for helping me out along the way. And obviously, you know, my parents and friends and everyone else who supported me. Um, you know, I definitely feel that, 
you know, football and track had positives impacts. You know, they taught me time management, how to deal with adversity, you know, early on in my career and later on as well. And that's something that I've definitely brought over into the working world. Um, so, you know, I think overall is a really good experience and, you know, really happy to just sort of keep on, keep it on and, you know, starting to give back in little ways that I can. That's awesome. Well, Alex, thank you so, so much for joining. This was just a ton of fun. I'm looking forward to hearing this and uh, the rest of the episodes that come out. Wow. What an awesome interview with Alex Cantrell. I really appreciated him walking us through his life story and showing that family influence, you know, that his grandpa and his dad had on him wanting to play football in college. And, you know, I really appreciated him opening up into providing a little insight into not just his playing career, but also diving into what it meant to him to you know, give up alcohol and become sober. And he's now nearly four years sober on what's been just a fascinating journey. So congratulations to Alex on a great playing career and congratulations to Alex on remaining sober as well. In other football news this weekend, thankfully my Wake Forest team and Deacons were on a bye. We got a much needed rest week before we turn around for the remainder of the season. The Demon Deacons are at Army this upcoming weekend before taking on Duke on October 30th. If the Demon Deacons can win that game, they'll be 5-0 in ACC play and will only need to likely win one or two of their remaining three ACC games against Clemson, NC State, and Boston College in order to qualify for the ACC championship game in Charlotte. What is there to say about my Nebraska Cornhuskers? Uh, an uninspired, dreadful, boring first half against Minnesota, and then two trips inside Minnesota's nine-yard line in the second half, resulting in zero points. The issues are the exact same that they were against Illinois. The team can't make kicks. They fail at executing special teams. They come out and play uninspired football for long stretches. They don't have a pass rusher, which has been a glaringly obvious weakness of the team for at least six years. I don't know what to make of Scott Frost and his regime. I really like him and I would like for him to succeed as the head coach at Nebraska. And I think he'll probably get to stay another year and, and be forced to make some staff changes as I've identified on previous episodes, but it's just disappointing and frustrating. And I, I think at this point, it's pretty obvious something's got to change, whether it's, you know, offensive staff shakeup, defensive staff shakeup, special teams, bringing in a full-time coach or coordinator, moving on from Adrian Martinez and finding a different solution at quarterback, Frost let go and let go, letting go of play calling. You know, I don't know what it is, but something's got to give at this point. Hey, just something's got to change. Uh, Trev Alberts is the new athletic director and he's overseen a bunch of changes at Nebraska Omaha, including making some hard decisions related to their football and wrestling programs. And I think he'll encourage Scott and I don't want to say force, but encourage Scott to make the hard, correct choices here in the offseason. And lastly, how about my Huskies? My Yukon Huskies finally get a win for the first time since 2019. Yukon defeats Yale 21 to 15. The Huskies are in the win column in East Hartford, and it actually looked like a pretty good crowd. I think it was about 18 or 19,000 folks on hand to watch that game on Saturday. Honestly, I am so happy for those guys. Uh, the Huskies really, really, really deserved to get a win. They had played a few teams very close this year and battled really, really hard in their last few games. And so it was really nice to see that tide turn and finally get into the win column. 
I think it's the hardest things sometimes with, you know, these losing streaks and these losing cultures and teams that lose games is just finding a way to get over the hump. You know, once you start winning, winning like losing is contagious. And so once you start winning and once you start finding ways to get it done, it doesn't matter who the opponent is. You start to believe that you can get it done and ultimately you find ways to win games. I'm really happy for the Huskies. And now the Huskies will take on Middle Tennessee State uh, this, uh, the next game. And hopefully they can string together two in a row. We'll see what happens, but regardless of the rest of the year and what happens the rest of the way, I'm really excited for those guys. I'm excited for Coach Spanos to get a win while he's the interim head coach. And ultimately, before everybody goes their separate ways at the end of the season, it's fun to at least see these guys are not giving up on one another and that they're going to continue to compete the rest of the way. Well, that's it for another episode of Rent Free this week. Thanks for listening, and I'll be back next week with a new episode. As a reminder... If you enjoyed today's conversation or any of the previous conversations as well, please leave a rating and review on the Apple Podcast page. It means a lot, and I appreciate the support of the podcast.